Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is the much-anticipated UFC 259. It's got a trio of title fights at the very top and some other absolutely incredible fights on this main card. But those of you who frequent the show know we are not going to be breaking down any of those main card fights, and we won't be talking about them in the least. Instead, this show is all focused on the prelim portion. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show, might be asking yourself, why just the prelims? Why not break down the whole card? Not Why not get to the ones that we're really interested in? And the answer is pretty simple. The answer is that we know you know a lot about Israel Haidesanya. We know you know about Aljamain Sterling. We know you know about Amanda Nunes. But there are some people on this prelim card, and although maybe there are some big names on this prelim card, because it is a crazy card, but there are some names on this prelim card that you probably don't know a ton about. And so we're here to help you, whether you're gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or even just for enjoyment. But of course, in order to break down these fights, i got to be joined by a co-host. Joining me today from the Fixed Fights Podcast with Kurt and Ben, Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here as always. All right, guys, and as you know, we usually start every round by putting five minutes on the clock, but this is a special prelims. There are ten of these prelims. This card is absolutely loaded, although by the time you've listened to it, about seven of them have been scratched due to COVID. Um, But still, nevertheless, we're going to try to break them all down, but we are going to put a very special seven minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny. So Cruz took three and a half years off before returning for a title shot against Henry Cejudo back in May. Obviously, not successful. Uh, Casey Kenny, meanwhile, lost in February of 2020, but since then has won three straight against Luis Smolka, Haile Alatang, and Nathaniel Wood. So, uh, looking at this fight, if you looked at it as if assuming Dominic Cruz is in his prime, or even a good version of Dominic Cruz, you'd probably assume he's going to handle Casey Kenny fairly easily. But is there any hope that there's even enough of that left to give Kenny a problems here? Uh, I mean, well, first of all, I completely agree with you that this is just a few years ago. This is Dominic Cruz's fight to fight to win like easily. Um, I do think if he's going to beat Casey Kenny here, it's not completely out of the imagination. Um, and it, I don't want to knock Casey Kenny at all, but he is um, in my mind, a slightly above average fighter. And, and again, that's not a knock on him, but he is not a super layered or nuanced striker. He tends to headhunt a lot. Um, and typically those are the guys that Dominic Cruz, when he has his speed, his reactions, everything about him, I don't see Casey Kenny really ever hitting Dominic Cruz. The issue, of course, is that Dominic Cruz has now had another layoff. Um, he hasn't looked particularly great in his last couple of fights. Um, and Casey Kenny in his last fight against Nathaniel Wood, we know that guy can fight at a pace. And if I'm getting a little bit long in the tooth, if I'm getting a little bit older, especially for a bantamweight and I'm Dominic Cruz, I'm a little worried about the pace and physicality that Casey Kenny can can put on me. Yeah, and I totally agree with your point about him headhunting. And even if not headhunting, targeting a single area, because mm-hmm. that highly Alatang fight, he, he didn't necessarily headhunt, but he did rib hunt. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, it kind of got repetitive and you, you're sort of at a certain point where like, man, he's just going to keep going back to that because he's not going to block it. And I do worry that Dominic Cruz is at least smart enough to avoid that like constant shot. Here, here's another layer I'm just going to throw in here before we completely dispose of this fight and just call it Casey Kenny by decision. <laughs> do, do you really, do you think that Dominic Cruz would have success if he laid on his wrestling? Maybe, but 
it's it's hard to say like you know he's never been a guy who has done that outside of occasional takedowns to score points and i think that's the best he can do against casey kenny i just i'm really concerned about dominic cruz being a little bit older and being able to fight at a super high pace so even if he does want to lean on his wrestling here kenny is a is a complete gamer super well trained and um you know i don't think he's going to be giving cruz any like easy positions so even if Cruz wants to wants to grapple here I'm I'm not convinced that he can do it at a high pace for for 15 minutes so of course as I already gave away I'm taking Casey Kenny by decision are you doing the exact same I'm taking Casey Kenny by decision as well but I am not super confident I actually think Cruz could could win a couple rounds here to be honest Absolutely. It's definitely a close fight, and the odds uh, sort of reflect that as well with Casey Kenny being just an ever-so-slight favorite. And let's take a look at our second fight, which is Song Yudong versus Kyler Phillips. Yudong, 5-0-1 in the UFC. That only draw is to Cody Stamen. He's, of course, coming off of that win over Marlon Vera back in May. Phillips, meanwhile, 2-0 in the UFC. He beat Gabriel Souza and Cameron Else, the latter of which was back in October. So I've obviously been really impressed by Kyler Phillips in his last two fights, but... I'm also kind of underwhelmed by the opponents they've chosen for him. How do you sort of break down how he's going to do against what is probably one of the more enormous step up in competition (laughs) of all time? Yeah. Yeah. I I'm high on not super high, but I, I like Kyler Phillips's skill set. The issue is he is at a, what feels like a pretty severe athletic disadvantage to Song Yudong here. Um, And Song Yudong is not like a, a technician himself, but I think he's a guy who still just 22 or maybe 23 years old now can just lean on his athleticism and power to get him out of bad spots or take control of the fight. And I think that's basically exactly what he's going to do here. You might see Kyler Phillips flash better overall striking. You might even see Kyler Phillips flash some some better technical grappling. But Song Yadong is just an absolute monster, and that really matters in MMA. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, but also I'm wondering how much of that – better technician aspect of it because i totally agree with your, your breakdown yudong's got the physicality uh phillips has got the technician i'm just interested in a three-round bantamweight fight whether or not that uh, that technique is going to take over enough for him to win a decision it's interesting to me too because i think song yudong if he had leaned a little bit more on his wrestling or pushing kyler phillips up against the cage i think he'd actually take this a little easier but i'm not sure that he would do that i'm a little bit worried that his game plan is to go in there and strike with phillips and i actually think he would lose that so i'm I'm actually going to take kyler phillips by decision here it sounds like you're leaning song yadong how do you see him getting it done i like song yadong by decision um i just think he's gonna i think there's gonna be exchanges where maybe phillips is better and cleaner uh but i think song yadong is just an athletic beast especially at 135 Absolutely. Well, our last fight of the first round is Joseph Benavidez versus Askar Askarov. I can't believe this is a prelim. Benavidez, of course, coming off back-to-back losses to Davis and Figueredo, the champ, last year, neither of which looked particularly good for the veteran. Askarov, meanwhile, drew against Brandon Moreno in his debut and since then has beat Tim Elliott and Alexandre Pantoja. Uh, now, obviously, Benavidez is a guy who's who's pretty much done well against anybody who's not a champion, but I'm kind of wondering, do you feel like he is going to be a changed man after those two fights against Figgy? That's that's a sad question to ask because I think he might have even been a bit of a changed man just after the first fight against Davis and Figueredo, to be honest. Um, and it's really hard for me to pick a, against Joseph Benavidez when he's fighting 
basically a grappler. Not, you know, Askar Askarov has a really well-rounded skill set, but typically for the vast majority of his career, if you think Benavidez is going to lose to just a straight-up grappler, you're out of your mind. But yeah, two back-to-back really hard losses from Benavidez. It's hard for me to have just a ton of confidence, especially considering even though Askar Askarov is not like a style that typically gives Benavidez problems, he is friggin' relentless. He will stick to his game plan and he will fight with like confidence. He is not going to be at all um, intimidated by Benavidez's power or his experience. So it really pains me to say it and it feels like, oh, I'm really turning a corner on Benavidez here, but that's the breaks in MMA, I feel like. Yeah, and I think that that's ultimately how you have to pick this fight. If you believe that he is changed and he is not the same person anymore, you go with with Askarov here. If you believe there's enough of him left, that uh, guy who's going to wrestle in, in, you know, like you mentioned, you know, he's relentless. But in that Pantoja fight, he was threatened with submissions. He was he got actually his back taken twice in the first two rounds. So um, if you think there's enough of the grappling Joseph Benavidez left to take a decision off of a guy who fights like that, uh, you go with him. So I guess here's the question. Which one are you going with and who do you got in this fight? I'm going with Askarov uh, by decision. I know it's it's not a super exciting pick. I wouldn't be surprised if I know people listen to the show for gambling. Like Benavidez latching onto um, like a guillotine doesn't feel like the craziest outcome, but I think the most likely in my mind is Askarov by decision. All right, and I'm actually going to take Benavidez too. And for that reason you just said, I'm a little bit worried that Askarov is going to leave his head in a weird place. And Benavidez has got good submissions, although we we sometimes forget about him. So. I'm, I'm going to ride with the veteran in this one, and I'm going to take Benavidez, and that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Round number two. All right, guys, I just want to take a second to shout out our new sponsor, Vigit. Vigit is the first gamified social network for sports bettors. It's 100% free to download, and it gives sports bettors like you and I a place to talk about sports betting, compete against friends, and check out all kinds of different betting trends to make you a better better. That's right. You can be a better better with Vigit because it's free to play sportsbook, which gives you an opportunity to win real prizes while paying attention to those trends and learning as you go. I highly suggest checking it out on the Google Play Store or in the App Store. And let me tell you something. When you do, make sure to use referral code TTP when you sign up. Tell them Gumby sent you. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another seven minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Sean Brady versus Jake Matthews. So Sean Brady started his UFC career 3-0 by beating Court McGee, Ishmael Nardiev, and Christian Aguilera. Matthews, meanwhile, has also won three straight against Rostam Akman, Emil Weaver-Meek, and Diego the Nightmare Sanchez. So... My question for you in this one is that Brady has been a little bit of a bully in the UFC. He's got that style where he's on top of you. He's putting you against the cage. He's shoving your head in his. But my question to you is, do you think that that is a style that plays well against somebody like Jake Matthews? So I think that's an interesting question because they're they're kind of similar fighters in that regard. Um, You know, Jake Matthews, I think, tends to rely on his physicality and exactly the kind of stuff you're talking about. He's not as much of a maybe a grinder as Sean Brady. But I actually think it's it's that favors Brady here because Jake Matthews is typically used to being the more physical 
kind of overall more explosive athlete here. And I think Brady is just I'm really high on him. I think he is one of the best overall American prospects, if you can still call him that right now in MMA. Um, so I think I think we're going to see this situation where Jake Matthews typically is used to being the stronger guy, the more explosive athlete, and he's going to run into problems when he ties up with Sean Brady, who is, by the way, also a jiu-jitsu black belt, um, and I think maybe has better overall wrestling than Jake Matthews. So I think Matthews is going to be a little taken aback by by Brady's physicality. And I also think Brady is improving by leaps and bounds, particularly with his striking. Absolutely. And it's kind of funny that we talk about Sean Brady being a guy who, who is the prospect in this. He's also two years older than Jake Matthews, which seems wow. like one of the craziest yeah. sentences I could have possibly said. Now, you mentioned his striking. I want to go back to that for just a quick second. Do you think that if this stays on the feet, if for some reason we get a wrestling stalemate, whose fight is it in that case? So I actually think it's Sean Brady's still. Jake Matthews is a guy who's been frustrating for me to watch at least because I feel like particularly with his kickboxing, he is really kind of plateaued. I see him obviously he has power and he has he throws with confidence but he's um kind of predictable you know it's it's a jab jab straight right hand or a jab and a right hand and that's about it and when he can't use that to back up his grappling it becomes just even more predictable on the feet and Sean Brady is no like world class kickboxer by any means but I think even in his last fight against Christian Aguilera we saw improved striking a really solid like check left hook and and good hand speed so i'm riding with sean brady pretty pretty big here i am super high on him and how do you see him getting it done i'm actually going out on a limb i'm gonna say by submission i think he latches on to another front headlock here on jake matthews with when jake matthews gets maybe a little desperate feeling the physicality of sean brady Man, you're making me feel really bad about my pick, but I'm going to stick with what I've already highlighted because I have highlighted in my document here that I was going to take Jake Matthews. You did make me feel terrible about it, but for some reason, I really feel like Jake Matthews has the advantage of the feat. That's why I brought it up, and uh, you kind of shot me down and made oh, me no. feel like crap, but I I'm going to take Jake Matthews in a, in a uh, wrestling stalemate that stays on the feet. And that's going to bring me to my second fight, which is Amanda Lemos versus La Vija Renata Souza. Souza, 2-1 in her last three. She last beat Ashley Yoder in August by decision. Lemos, meanwhile, used to fight at 135 way back when. She came down to 115 after a USADA suspension. And all she's done since then is beat Miranda Granger and Mizuki Inouye back-to-back, which is pretty damn impressive. So... My question for you here is that Souza is the one who touts the black belt, talks about the black belt, and is the jujitsu wizard. Do you still favor her if this hits the floor? Um, I think I favor her early if it hits the floor, but Souza is super inefficient, um, both on the feet and I actually think on the ground. Like she is, she will once she decides, oh, I got to get the fight to the mat. It, you know, all hell breaks loose. It seems like. Um, so I think. You know, if Souza can get on top early, Lemos is not super technical, but she is um, very explosive. And, you know, we saw – I believe we saw Mizuki on top of her a little bit. Um, she's not, like, totally inept on the mat. Um, and she's, like I said, super explosive, really athletic. Um, and I actually think the longer the fight goes on, we're going to see Souza get a little bit more desperate. And I just don't have any – in faith in her to consistently fight with efficiency against Lemos, who is super dangerous on the feet. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. And it's also worth noting, too, that Lemos has 100% takedown accuracy and 100% takedown defense, uh, which means this fight most likely is going to take place where she decides it is. So even if this does hit the mat, I, I'm probably going with Lemos. And like you said, I, I like her better on the feet, too. So 
I'm going to take her here. I feel like I'm going boring with decisions all over the place, but I'm going to take her by decision here again. Uh, how about you? Yeah, um, I actually don't think this will be a boring fight. I think Lemos will really put it on her, especially late, but I like her by decision as well. We're, I mean, we're talking about straw weight, so that's that's kind of the, the way it shakes out. That's very true. All right, and that brings us to our last fight of the second round, which is Rogerio Bontarine versus Kaikara France. Bontarine won his first two in the UFC before losing to Ray Borg back in February. Kaikara France, meanwhile, won in two in his last three, but those losses, of course, are to Brandon Moreno and Brandon Royval. The last one in September in a very fun fight that he lost by submission. So uh, my question to you here is, uh, Kaikara France, if you look at his record, is only really lost to guys who can out-grapple him and sort of force that jiu-jitsu game of his and see where the hole is. I don't know how how likely Bontarin is to be able to do that. Do you think he can enter that game plan? And if not, who do you favor standing? You know, before Rogerio Bontarin was basically out-grappled by... Um... Ray Borg, I would have a lot more confidence that stylistically, yeah, he's for sure, he's a very talented grappler, and I, I actually thought he was going to beat Ray Borg. I still edge hit, I still favor Bontarine ever so slightly, just because the path to victory against Kaikara France is is pretty obvious. Um, and I, I just, it's hard for me to pick against somebody who has such a grappling advantage, and I, I can't say it enough, I really thought Bontarine was going to straight up out-grapple Ray Borg. I do think I'm still really high on his grappling, his wrestling, his jujitsu, everything. Um, and it's hard for me. I, I just can't bring myself to pick against somebody who I know is a better grappler. Um, and he's fighting somebody in Kaikara France who, like you said, loses to better grapplers. Um, and it's unfortunate because Kaikara France is very, very good, but he's going to run into problems until he can, like, for sure deal with grapplers the, the caliber of Bontarine, I think. Especially because when you look at the top of that that flyweight division too, you got Figueredo, Pantoja, you know Moreno, Royval. You know like it's littered with guys who can grapple really well. I mean, we just talked about Askarov and Benavidez. I, I totally agree here. I am as high on his jujitsu as you are. I'm lower on his wrestling, uh -huh. and, and part of the Ray Borg fight was part of what made that for me too. Is is it just seems like his offensive wrestling is a step behind where it needs to be to really force Kaikara France here to grapple. And, and that's the reason I'm going to take Kaikara France here again, boringly by decision. Uh, do you like Bontarine? Do you see him getting the sub? I don't see him getting the sub, but I'm going to go with the, the small upset here. I like Bontarine by decision because I, I, I absolutely agree with you that his wrestling, I think is not as good as his overall grappling. And we saw that against the Ray Borg fight, but, He's the type of guy that if he can get on your back once, he's going to stay there. And I think that's just going to be just enough against Kaikara France. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to be right back with round number three after a quick break. All right, guys, in the last break, I talked to you a little bit about Vigit. And I highly suggest going and downloading Vigit because you're going to learn so much about the sports betting world. But let me tell you something. There's lots of great features to Vigit, including one of my personal favorites, which is the betting league feature. You can compete against your friends and other sports bettors to determine who's number one each and every month. And let me tell you something. That's a lot of fun. I'd play with Shockwave Dave, and you can actually join our group if you check out the uh, private group section. That's right. You're getting an invite to a private group. You go ahead and just punch in the password SPORT202, and that's going to get you right in. You're going to compete against me and Shockwave. And let me tell you something. 
it's a good time. We put a little smack talk in there, so be sure to check that out. And also remember, if you are downloading Dig It for the very first time, be sure to use referral code TTP to tell them Gumby sent you. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another seven minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Tim Elliott versus Jordan Espinoza. Elliott had lost three straight fights, but he bounced back with a win over Ryan Benoit his last time out. Espinoza, meanwhile, also won in three in his last four. His last fight was in September where he lost a decision to David Vorick. So my question for you here is about Espinoza, who looks like he's one of the more solid wrestlers in this division sometimes. But at the same time, it seems like every time he shoots a takedown, he forgets he also has to do jujitsu. Does that play right into the scrambling of Tim Elliott and the submission game of Tim Elliott? Yeah, I to answer your question simply, yes, I I, <laughs> I totally think it does. I think Jordan Espinosa, I don't know about you, but he's been a kind of frustrating to watch in the UFC because he obviously is a is a very good wrestler. Even on the feet, he's really fast with his hands, but his game is just not very layered, which is kind of what you're getting at with he forgets he has to do jujitsu. And even on the feet, when guys just come after him, it kind of falls apart. Um and we're talking about scramble Scramble master Tim Elliott here, even on the feet, Tim Elliott will just, like I said, come after you. So I think stylistically, even though Tim Elliott has been really kind of up and down the last couple of years, I think this is a great fight for him because Espinosa is a guy with just tons and tons of talent, but can't seem to put it all together. Yeah, and Tim Elliott also, you know, like you said, there's been clear ups and downs for the guy, but also in the same sense, he's fought some killers, right? Mm -hmm. Those losses are to Brandon Royval, Davison Figueredo, and Askar Askarov. So it's not like he's out there getting beat by bums. So I I like him here, like you said. I think he knows how to combine his game better. He looks funky on the feet. He's going to get after him. And Espinosa, not a guy who's particularly good at blending what he's doing. So I'm going to take Elliott here. I'm actually going to say, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to say he gets the submission in one of those scrambles. How about you? I'm wow. I'm I'm with you. I I think I like uh, Tim Elliott by submission here because he is so aggressive on the mat that it's hard for me to see him not wrapping something up. Absolutely, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Kennedy Zuchuku versus Carlos Olberg. Zuchuku one and one in the UFC. He lost to Paul Craig in his debut. Followed that up by beating Darko Stoizek back in August of 2019, which is the last time he fought. It's worth noting he won that decision when Stoizek lost two points for kicking him in the dick repeatedly. Yeah. Ol- <laughs> Olberg, meanwhile, three and zero, making his debut. That's right, three and zero, making his debut. He last beat Bruno Oliveira on the Contender Series with a left hook. Now, now, obviously, it's been a while since we've seen Zuchuku, but he doesn't want this fight to happen in space, right? Like, we know Alberg's talent when he's fighting. Do you think that Kennedy can get it in close range and make this a dirty fight? Or is this destined to happen at distance where, let's face it, he's at a pretty big disadvantage? You know, I think um, I agree that at, at distance he's at a disadvantage. I think even, unless he gets it like all the way down on the mat, which has not been something that has really been his forte. And I'm not even going to try to say his last name. I'm just going to call him Kennedy. Um, <laughs> he like even if it's like in the clinch, you know, Carlos Olberg training with City Kickboxing, super talented in the clinch as well. Um, so I don't think it's really safe for him anytime that the, the, the pair is standing. Olberg is super super fast um so yeah this feels for sure like a fight that carlos olberg really athletic talented kickboxer really well trained should win my only caveat is man like we're talking about a guy who's three and oh in mma they're big right we're talking about light heavyweights it's hard for me to like if i'm gambling here 
those odds look really, really steep for Carlos Olberg. Yeah, I'm not all over him as like somebody who I need to put in like a DraftKings lineup or somebody who I want to lay a bunch of money down on. But if I do have to make a pick on this one, I'm saying he knocks out Zuchuku in the first round and, and he does it kind of easily. So um, that's going to be my official pick. How do you see him getting it done? Yeah, I like Olberg here, hopefully by some sort of fancy kick knockout. Love it. All right, and that brings us to our next one, which is Uros Medic versus Alon Cruz. Medic, 6-0, making his debut. He beat Mikey Gonzalez on the Contender Series by TKO back in August, winning his contract. Cruz, meanwhile, was KO'd in his debut by Spike Carlisle back in February. So I'm going to say that we're looking at a contest again, back-to-back with the one last one, that is probably mostly going to happen on the feet. The interesting thing for this one for me is Medic seems to be a volume guy who kind of gets after it. Alon Cruz seems to be the sniper who kind of waits on the outside and tries to counter. Which of those striking styles are you riding with here? I think you nailed that that general dynamic breakdown. I'm riding pretty heavy with Uros Medic. He is very athletic, very fast, and I'm not I don't want to I don't want to crap on Alon Cruz here, but I think he's just Pretty slow, uh, especially for that weight class. He obviously has timing, right? That that knockout on the contender series is is beautiful. But I like Medic. I like his volume, and even you know later in the fight, I think his power is going to carry a little bit later. I just I just don't think Cruz is a guy who can beyond sniping can really give a lot of problems to Medic. And, and also too, it's worth noting that if you look at Alon Cruz's debut, he is fighting a guy who is going to want to do the exact same thing as Spike mm-hmm. Carlisle did to him: get after him, get in his face, throw some bombs early on, and just make it so that he's smothered to the point where he can't use that that sniper counter. So I think Medic is exactly that kind of fighter. He's going to do exactly that type of thing, and I'm going to take him here by early knockout. How about you? I like Medic by late knockout, just to be a little different, but I like him by knockout. All right, and that brings us to our last fight, which is Mario Batista versus Trevin Jones. Jones, of course, came to the UFC, and he beat Timor Valiev back in August by knockout in one of the craziest comebacks of the year, courtesy of Chris Tione. Uh Batista, meanwhile, <laughs> lost his UFC debut to Corey Sandhagen on six days' notice. Since then, he's bounced back with back-to-back wins over Jin Su Sun, and, of course, that flying knee knockout over Miles John. So, Obviously, Jones gets that crazy come from behind win in his debut. It's clear he's tough. But do you feel more or less confident in his game after watching that fight? It's hard to to gather much from that fight. I actually interviewed him after that fight. He considers himself a jiu-jitsu fighter, like a grappler, first and foremost. He just took that fight on short notice, and he wasn't confident in in bringing the fight to the mat. Um, so it's hard to like just look at that fight and gather much about what kind of guy Trevin Jones is. That said, his opponent, I know quite a bit about Mario Bautista. We know quite a bit about because we've seen him in the UFC. I'm very high on his skill set. And he's MMA lab trained, I believe. So even if Trevin Jones thinks, oh, I'm going to bring the fight to the mat and use my superior jujitsu, I can't think of the last time we saw an MMA lab fighter unprepared to grapple. Um, I like Batista to keep it on the feet and use just a little bit more nuanced striking and, and setups to give Trevin Jones trouble, which obviously like Timur Valiev was was super favored for a reason against Trevin Jones, but let's not forget he friggin' took it to him for about <laughs> five and a half minutes. So I like Batista here, but don't be surprised if we see Trevin Jones try for some takedowns. That that's certainly good insight there, and I, I totally agree with what you said about him at the lab. It's worth noting Batista taking this on short notice, but 
I actually had an interview with him this week where he said that he was basically doing a full training camp with two of his training partners in Casey Kenny and Kyler Phillips, who are also fighting on this card. So th- the dude is ready. And yeah, I-, I agree with you. I think he stuffs enough of the takedowns, gets it done on the feet. Um, and I'm actually going to take him by late stoppage here. I, I think he's the one to get Trevin Jones yeah. after Timor Valiev. Uh, probably should have in the first round as long as we're being honest and, yeah. and didn't. So I'm going to take him by stoppage. How do you see him winning? I like Batista by by decision. I assumed Trevin Jones is maybe taking this on a full camp, so I think he's going to be a little bit more durable. But Batista, a guy that I want to see more of. I want to see him fight a lot. I think he has a really high potential. All right, and that's going to do it. You guys got 10 fights in just right around 20 minutes, so we hope you guys learned something in this super extended version of the Prenet Primer. <laughs> I, of course, want to thank my co-host, Benjamin Abrigo. You can catch him on the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben. Ben, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thank you.